let me uh, pray for us and we'll get started. God, thanks for this time. Thanks for the chance to gather, to learn, to grow. Thank you that you love us, that you sent your Son to love us. Thank you for the devotional this morning that you... Um, we have no shame or conviction from you. We have acceptance and love and forgiveness, um, empowerment, um, affirmation from you, Lord. Thank you that you speak to us and shout to us that you love us. And that overpowers um, anything else in all creation. Help us grow this morning. I pray you bless the other groups, the other breakout classes. Pray they would have a great time. They learn a lot. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Question. If you see a shark coming after you, what two or three things can you do to try and survive? Punch it in the nose. Okay, punch it in the nose is an option, but not a good one. It's one thing you can do is punch it in the gills or the eyes. Punch, hit, scrape, whatever. That's one thing to do. But hopefully you've done some things before. It has its jaws around you. Swim away. swim away is an option, but a terrible option, according to Google. So, if a shark, a shark is a predator. It likes to hunt things, right? So, if you see a shark coming at you, don't act like prey. So that means don't run, don't whimper, don't don't thrash about. So, this is not going to guarantee your survival. So, don't take this to the bank. But don't swim away. Stay where you're at or swim towards it, maybe. Oh. Counterintuitive. I know. I know. Hey, Google said to do it, so it's got to be true. And then get big. Like, you know, like they say with bears, get bigger so they think you're bigger than they are. So you want to get as big as you can get. Like get broad and wide. And like, So that shark thinks, I'm not going to eat that thing. It's bigger than I am. It's a predator. It's smart. He's not going to eat something that can hurt it. So... And then if those two things fail, which they probably will, then you punch it in the gills and, and maybe even from the inside of the shark. You can punch out at the gills. I don't know. <laughs> Poke it at the eyes. So there's some things you can do to hopefully survive a shark attack. Hopefully that won't happen. Prayerfully, Jesus, don't want to happen this week um, or ever. Terrible transition. How are you as Christians going to survive in this world which is coming to devour you? Peter tells us that Satan wants to devour you. He's a lion looking to, to tear your flesh apart. We could say, say a shark looking to devour you, crunch your bones up. How are you going to survive in this world today? And yesterday we've looked at some ways which Christians can survive, can thrive, can be full of fruit and godliness in this fallen world. Alright? I used a term yesterday that said that poor in spirit. Oh, I always forget these. What's the, what's the second one? Poor in spirit. Mourn over their sin. Meek. So the the currency of the kingdom. What I mean by that is not it's not money you get to buy things, but it's what's valuable. We think those who have the most money have the most power, the most status, the most security. In the kingdom, those that are the most are those that are practicing meekness and mourning over sin and, and admitting their poverty of spirit. Those are the ones that are valuable, that are, that are living rightly, that are blessed in the kingdom of God.
So imagine if you would for a moment that poison ivy was the most valuable commodity in all of creation. But only you knew this. I'm assuming most of y'all hate poison ivy. Three leaves, let it be. Or rub it on somebody else. So imagine that. So what would, what, would, what would your life be like if you were the only one amongst your friends that knew that poison ivy was a valuable commodity? And your friends did not know that. What would your life be like? Stressful. Why? Why is that girl in the woods again trying to find that poison ivy? (laughs) Yeah, stressful. Everyone else would be avoiding poison ivy. You're trying to gain poison ivy, find poison ivy, cultivate, grow poison ivy. Right? You would look totally awkward. You would give up pursuing Chick-fil-A milkshakes because you want to get more poison ivy. Okay, in the same way, we're pursuing things that the world says are bad. The world says is destructive and hurtful and tries to avoid. But we're saying, no, I want that. I want poverty of spirit. I want to mourn over my sin. I want to be meek. I want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I want to get it all over me. And I want it to like ooze out of me. I'm going to keep going with this metaphor as long as I can. All right? And I want, it to, get, I want to get it on other people. I want to infect them. All right? But the world says, no, keep that stuff away from me. And that's, that's the, the awkwardness and the sacrificial living we've been talking about. As you were living according to a different standard. You were valuing things the world says is not valuable. And as we do, it, it makes us and grow, and it makes us more like Christ. All right? It fosters more of Christ's likeness so he oozes out of you. All right? I got poison ivy so bad one time, my eyes were like poison ivy shut as a kid. I'm, like, I'm blind, Mom, I'm blind. And you just have poison ivy. I had to take an oatmeal bath. Dries it out. Anyway, all right, next two verses. Let's look at uh, Matthew 5 6 and Matthew 5 7. How to live as a stranger thing, living in, as becomes the kingdom of God. All right, someone read for me um, verse 5, please. Matthew 5 6, sorry. 5 6. I can read it, but I have an ID. And you're a Presbyterian? Oh, then you're fine. I'm not. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sorry, yeah, read it loud. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be What's the other word for filled? Satisfied. Satisfied. Okay. It's like 99% right. It's fine. <laughs> okay. So those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I use shorthand a lot. So hunger and thirst. I use this for righteousness. So you can use that if you want to, but you got to give me credit. You ever make a lot of money off of that? Um, righteousness. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is righteousness? How would you define, how do you conceive of, understand? Push that top blue button if you can and see if it turns off. Epic fail. All right, never mind. I'll just talk really loud. Thanks. What is righteousness? How is God righteous? What does it mean that God is righteous? He obeys he, the standard, right? Is that what you mean? Like He's given us the law. He obeys. Jesus obeyed the law. Is that what you mean? Is that what you meant? But I just made it better. What else? 
To be righteous is to be right. Okay, all that God does is right or is good. Another way, another way to understand it is His rightness. He is right in how He loves. He is right in how He shows mercy. He is right in how He executes justice. He always does the right thing in every single situation. He's always right. And because He's always right or holy, He's righteous. Jesus is righteous because He always did right by God. He always obeyed God, honored God, followed God. You and I are called righteous if we believe in Jesus. Because we get Jesus' righteousness, His rightness given to us, and our wrongness is put on Jesus. All right? That's what we are called now, right. We are rightness. We, we, we exude and possess rightness. When you go before a judge, you are called right. All right? That's the beauty of the gospel. So we are to hunger and thirst for doing and being possessing rightness or righteousness. All right? You as Christians are to hunger and thirst for rightness. I woke up this morning hungering and thirsting for coffee. Okay? I, I, made my, I made it the night before, so in the morning I just turned it on. It was great. I prepared to have a right morning. Okay? I pre- prepared my way to have a, a coffee-filled morning. And so we are to hunger and thirst, prepare our lives to do what is right, to obey God and His standard. All right? To obey, to pursue the fruit of the Spirit. Okay. What's the one thing your body needs the most? What can, your, what can you not go without for more than three days? Water. Water. Why? Why does your body hunger and thirst crave prompt you to drink water? Or take in water. Why? So that you'll float. Okay. Why else? See what? Sweat. Yep. You can sweat. Every part of your body needs water. Your heart, your your blood needs water to move to move white blood cells to the places they're supposed to be. To move blood throughout your body, it, your body needs water. You don't have water, you just got jelly like or jam, whatever you prefer, like just rolling through your body. Okay, your, your toes are going to fall off before too long. You've got to have water to move it along your body. If you eat too much bacon, yes. Uh, that's why I got blood thinners, because people's blood is too thick and they, they gotta, it needs to get moving. It needs, it needs water to get blood moving throughout your body. Your heart, your heart needs water to, to, to function, to, to pump. To get, to get that blood going, your heart, your lungs, your brain needs water. You're, you have water in your brain. I could put a spigot or a, and turn it out and water would come out. You need water to kind of cushion and protect your brain. Um, your muscles, they need water. They need water to be able to bend and grow. Okay, your, your, every muscle, you need, your, your calf muscles need, need water to be able to support you as you walk. Um, every part of you needs water, and you need water to sweat. It's the way the body cools itself off, because you're outside and it's 98 degrees and it's 700% humidity outside. You need to, have, you need to be able to sweat, okay? And so your body uses the, the, it puts sweat out and that helps your body cool off, okay? You, you, you have to have water, and so your body's constantly prompting you to hydrate through, through food, through drinks, 
um, to, to put water in your body for it to function rightly. When we don't function, when we aren't having enough water, we don't have enough food in our system, what do you become? Dehydrated. In my house, we call it hangry. You become a hangry, hunger and angry. Hangry person, okay? I, about 10 to 45 every day, I get really hangry. Because the, the, the breakfast is worn off, it's not quite lunch yet, and I'm, just, I'm, I'm ready for my next meal. And I'm too busy to take, take a snack, I've had too much coffee, because that coffee dehydrates you. Um, I get hangry, I get mean, I get short with my wife. Leave me alone, go away! I get mean to my kids. Stop doing that! Like, I'm just not a pleasant person because I don't have enough water in my body. My brain is, I hate this word, but literally it, it's, it's, it's starved. My brain is craving water at this point. And because I haven't filled it with enough water, my body enough water, my body's not functioning right. My emotions are all messed up. I'm not naturally a, a, a biting person. I'm naturally pretty compassionate, merciful, um, happy-go-lucky. Alright, but when I'm hangry, I'm not that way at all. I'm mean, I'm short, I'm rude. And my wife is always like, here's some water, jerk. Alright, and I'm like, you're right, honey. Um, and, I, about, and about 2 p.m. every day, I go to my wife and say, honey, I'm really sorry I was hangry earlier, and please forgive me. And she does eventually. No, she always does. Um, so our bodies, if we, do, we don't, if we don't feed them water, they shrivel, they shrink, they don't work right. In the same way, you and I as Christians, if we don't, if we don't take in righteousness, we don't, we don't work right. If we're not pursuing the things of God, if we're not boasting in our poverty of spirit, if we're not mourning over our sin, if we're not being meek, if we're not being forgiving and all these other things, we're not, we're not functioning properly. We're shriveling up. And we're, 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 not, we're not functioning as God intended us and wants us to function in the kingdom of God. We're to pursue rightness in two ways. We're to pursue right living with with God. Alright? And then everything else created. We're to pursue rightness with God and rightness rightness with all that He's created. We are right with God through Sunday school. Jesus, resting in Christ. Okay? We trust in Christ. We rest in Christ. We look to Christ. We walk in the power of the Spirit. Right? Not in ourselves. God. God is, is, is how we are right. And I think we've heard a lot about that, so I don't want to spend time there. Um, But how about things that are created? How can we be right with things He's created? I think we are to rightly enjoy things He's created. And we are rightly to relate to things He has created. So enjoy and relate. So how are we to rightly enjoy Money. How can we rightly enjoy money? Give it away. Spend it. You got money to spend? Yeah, go out and get some Mexican food. 
Is that an amen? How else? About sex. How are we to rightly enjoy sex? The boundaries, protective boundaries of of marriage between a man and a woman. Yeah, to cross those boundaries is sin. It's not right. It's not how he designed it. Okay. Goes for anything. Sports. We enjoy sports. It's not our identity. It doesn't define me, but I enjoy it. Okay. I don't. I don't. I'm not. Um, I'm responsible at home. I get things done so that I can watch football on Saturday afternoons. Right? I don't. I don't forego my responsibilities. I get everything else done so I can enjoy that. Um, food. How do we to rightly enjoy food? Right. Don't be gluttonous. Don't turn to to these things for comfort. But turn to these things just for to feed your body to enjoy them rightly. Okay. Don't abuse them. So we're to rightly enjoy. Everything God's created. The beach, pens, whatever it is, ice machines. I got you. I got you, ice machine. Okay? We're to rightly relate to everything's God, everything and everyone God has created. We're to rightly relate to everyone and everything God has created. So how about loving your neighbor? How can we rightly relate to our neighbor? Whomever that might be. What can we do? Empathetic towards our neighbor. Okay. What does that look, what does that look like, though? How do we show empathy and compassion to our neighbors? Uh, like not being selfish, thinking about how they feel. Okay. Maybe mowing their lawn for them. Maybe if their dog's out, helping the dog get back into the backyard. Telling them. They're having something happen to them. You help, you help them out. Hey, can I, get, can I get your trash for you? Can I get your paper for you? Can I get your mail for you? Alright, can I help you put up Christmas lights? Whenever neighbors move in, I always like to help them try to unload their cars for them or help them pack up when they're leaving. Especially if they're bad neighbors. <laughs> for God's glory. Um, how can you rightly relate to your youth group? Be smug? Be punks. Be helpful. Be kind. Be sensitive. Be empathetic. All right. Someone walks in having a bad day. Don't be like, "Oh my gosh!" Like, what's bad about your day? What happened? How can I pray for you? All right. Same way you'd want to be treated, right? So we're to rightly to hunger and thirst righteousness. To hunger and thirst, being right with God. Even though if we're in Christ, we are right with God. We were still to be pursuing that, alright? Just because I'm married to my wife doesn't mean I don't, I don't stop pursuing her. So I'm still, we're still pursuing being right. Even though we're giving it to us in Christ, we still grow in it and mature in it and appreciate it, understand all the aspects of it. Right? We're never going to know enough about God and His love for us. We keep pursuing it, keep investigating it, just as the angels do. And then we're pursuing hunger, being, treating things that God has given us rightly. Everything and everyone He's created. To enjoy them within the boundaries He has set to protect us and help us enjoy them. But also to help us and also for us to relate to everyone and everything that God has created.
Okay. Then what's the fruit? What's the payoff of that? What's the benefit of doing this? What will you be? What was your word? What was what did your verse say? Um, it says fulfilled. Fulfilled. Filled. Okay. It's all right. I, I, I have an IV. I still look at it. Satisfied. Okay? And that makes perfect sense. It's like Jesus knew what he was talking about. When you, when you hunger and thirst, when you take in good things, you're satisfied. I love being here. I really, really do. But the food is not sitting well with me. Camp food is not the most healthy thing in the world. And this morning, I ate way too much bacon. God understands I'm a sinful person who likes bacon, but my stomach is not happy right now. Okay? Um, so, ignore the rest of the guys in my cabin. Um, yes. So, how does God satisfy us? How, how does God satisfy us? What are some ways in which God satisfies or fills us? Huh? He provides. What does he provide? Nachos. Provides nachos. He made our brains and our taste buds to love nachos. Or steaks. Or whatever. Salad. Salad. Vegetables. Vegetables are really good. You put ranch on them. (laughs) And bacon. Right? He satisfies us with Jesus. Isn't it kind of crazy that you find a man who lived 2,000 years ago who walked around in some weird look, awkward clothing by our standards today? Like we're satisfied with him. We think he's cool. We think he's good. We want to be like him. Think about who you want to be like today. It doesn't look like Jesus. Like, not that it's, you know what I mean? Like we're satisfied with Christ. His, his Godhood, His manhood, His personhood. Um... He satisfies us with the Word of God. No other book that do I read do I find as much satisfaction as when I read the Bible. I love the New York Yankees. And I love to read books about the Yankees. And they're really fun, but they never satisfy me in the way that reading the Bible does. Um, relationships. And he, God has given me so many satisfying relationships. Not just my family, but friends at church. He's given me satisfying relationships throughout my life. In, in high school, in college, when I was single for a while, and, and now as an adult. So many satisfying relationships. Not just with himself, but with friends as well. Um, and every friendship I have is pointing to my relationship with God and how satisfying and filling that is. He satisfies your He gives you new desires for, for righteousness, for Jesus, and then He satisfies them. He gives you desires, and He satisfies them. What does the world say? That's God's kingdom, but what is, what is the world's alternative? What does it say we should hunger and thirst for? Money. Money, 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 money. Anybody finish that off? Hunger and thirst for money. Okay, what else? Hmm? 
What else should we hunger and thirst for? What does the world scream at you that you should be hungering and thirsting for? Skin. Nice, clear, attractive skin, sure. What else? Beauty is what this is. Power is what this is. Security is what that is. What else? Popularity. Yep, being liked, being popular. Anything else? What are the commercials about? What are what are what are magazines promoting? What are what, is, what song? What are they what are they promoting? She's have parties in the USA all the time, which is a great idea, as long as it's enjoyed how God designed it. Um, we should put our hands up. Shake our, not our head. Shake our hips. Yeah. Um, hunger and thirst for success. Oh, I can never spell this word. Two C's, two S's. Success. Hunger and thirst for. What's in your, what's in your heart of hearts? What do you What do you long for? be loved, to be liked. When I went to college, I wanted to find my wife, my friends, and my profession. And when I left college, I had friends. <laughs> and I was thankful for that. I've got, I had great friends. But nowhere near a wife, because I was nowhere near ready, and, and nowhere near a profession. Um, but I grew a lot in Christ in college, so I'm thankful for that. Then um, what's the payoff? Not y'all, the ice machine. It just, it's just driving me crazy. What's the payoff? If you, if you pursue these things, if you hunger and thirst for these things, what will you get? What will you be? Empty. That's the reality. But the world says these will satisfy you, right? Like these will be, these will make you happy. These will make you filled. These will make you um, not long for other things. If you buy this amazing Mercedes Benz that costs ninety thousand dollars, I mean you're going to be in debt forever. But you'll have a really cool car, like Matthew McConaughey has, or it's a Lincoln actually. He drives, right? All right. I, I think about like like um, soda commercials. Coke. What do I call it? Soda. I call it Coke. Pop. They're all Coke. Huh? They're all Coke. They're all Cokes. Yeah. Even Dr Pepper, which is what Jesus drank, what? is Coke. Hey, I'm telling you, it's in the Bible to look for. It's not really in the Bible. Um, so these soda commercials say drink these, right? And it's like you pop it and the can's sweating just rightly and the person drinking is beautiful, they have clear skin, and they drink it. And it who drinks like this, by the way? They drink it like that. And like they're, ah, like they're totally satisfied. But sodas are terrible. It's just sugar. All it is is 200 calories that don't help your body. They actually dehydrate you. They don't help your body function. If you were an animal and you drank a soda, you'd be like, I gotta eat again. I'm, I'm not satisfied. I gotta go eat another deer. Okay? They don't, they are, they are empty. Snickers bars. Snickers satisfies. Yeah, for like an hour till the sugar wears off, because your body's burned up the sugar. 
and not the fat that, you, that your body stored, right? Not the calories your body has stored. It's eating the things it shouldn't be eating, right? And now you got to have. Guess what you have to do an hour or two later? Eat another Snickers bar. Beautiful. So Snickers gets rich, and you get empty. Okay, it's it's false satisfaction. Every commercial is is to a degree a lie about what will satisfy you. To me, that's awkward. It's awkward to drink a, a Coke, eat a Snickers, drink too much alcohol, smoke too much pot, go too far with someone that you're in a relationship with physically, to be rude to your parents, to be a punk at RYM to your youth pastor or at church. That's awkward because you're, you're foolish. You're being satisfied by the wrong things. You're sacrificing holiness for emptiness. That's, that's an awkward, foolish sacrifice. But the world is beckoning you. It's calling you to, to take on these empty things. Put on and take in these hollow things. And it's foolishness. It's foolishness. But we, because God has helped us know what is right and true and good, to be satisfied with God, with knowing God, with enjoying things that He's created and rightly. So I think my wife is pretty hot. She's, I think she's a hot girl. Okay, I tell her I said, "Baby, you're the most beautiful person here, no doubt about it." And when we were dating, I wanted to make out with her. I just wanted don't look, record this. this one. I wanted to make out with her all the stinking time. And I, um, I, I love Jesus, no doubt about it. But I'll, and I also love my wife. And so I was like, "Baby, I just want to make out with you." All right, we weren't engaged yet. We, I married her really fast because she's hot. But at a certain point, we were, my wife and I were talking, and we're like, you know, we're making out, but man, it's just, it's just not satisfying. Let's go further. No, we're like, this... Am I turning red? Uh, we're like, we're, we're fighting against God. We're, we, are, we are putting off... We are, we're on the edge of shame. Um, we didn't have sex, we, but we're, we're kissing, you know? And we just, at one point, we're like, you know what? It is going to be far more peaceful if we stop this. It's going to be far more peaceful and satisfying. It'll be hard. It's going to be really hard to do this. It'll be far more satisfying if we, if we stop this. When we pursue righteousness according to God's standard, we keep our minds and our bodies holy. It'll be far more satisfying when we're married and can enjoy this. So when we decided to do that, I definitely got engaged really fast after that. Wait, do you all kiss? Oh, we did. We had that goal for like a week, and then I was like, "Look good." You are gonna kiss? I broke that commitment fast. It sounded good, and I couldn't do it. But I empower you. Hey, if you want to do it, please. I guess a noble and good goal. Um, especially as fellas, I'll really talk to you guys as guys. Your job is to protect this girl that you claim to love. So honor her. Keep her pure as you can. Protect her. When some guy comes to ask for my daughter's, he's going to date my daughter, I'm like, you, okay, I'm entrusting you, but I'm still going to shoot you. <laughs> to keep her pure. You guard her. You guard her body. You guard her mind. You better do it. Because I, I will find out where you live. I know how to use Instagram and Snapchat. Okay? <laughs> I mean it, boys. But when 
we started sat- hungering and thirsting, thirsting for God for righteousness as opposed to just wanting to make out, it was, it was more satisfying. It wasn't easier, but it was it was it was able we were able to go to bed at night separately and, and know that we had pursued righteousness and holiness. And we were able to say I do on the day of our marriage, and you know, we had pursued righteousness. And it, it was I was able to boast in that in a way before others that I have kept her pure. We have pursued holiness. And she has done the same for me. And it was far more satisfying and fulfilling. Well, that got awkward. <laughs> Should have worked that one out more. Um, okay, any questions about that? No. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we're to hunger and thirst for what? I mean, to pursue what in the kingdom of God? Blessed are those who are merciful. Merciful. Alright, what does it mean to be merciful? Yes, when your speaker tells a really embarrassing story, you show him mercy. Merciful. To be merciful is to lift the burdens off of somebody else. When you are merciful to someone, that someone is having a hard time. They are struggling with something. They are carrying a heavy book bag or lots of pain from something. And you show mercy not by piling on, loser, but by saying, hey, how can I help you? How can I love you? How can I pray for you? Hey, let's sit by each other at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Can I help carry your bag to the beach? Let me grab your flip-flops for you. All right? Let me bury you in the sand. It'll be lots of fun. To show mercy is to restore. It's restorative. When you show mercy to people, you're restoring them to health. Because they are not healthy with whatever is burdening them. Alright? Are you merciful? This is what Russ has been talking about. This is what Russ has been talking about. Everyone who talks has got this undercurrent of mercy. Because it's consistent. The kingdom is always valuing these things. Alright? Wherever you're at in, the, in Scripture, the kingdom is valuing mercy. What's interesting, about, what's interesting about mercy is that God has in some degree lifted us out of the broken world and out of our brokenness. Right? When we were saved, we were lifted out of our brokenness and put in Christ. The pain and the punishment. We have hope now. But then where does God send us after He lifts us out of it? This is right back into it. Go be merciful to those who are broken. He lifts us out. He, he shows mercy to us to restore us, to relieve our burdens. We are now right with God. And now He says, okay, go now and love those who are, who are, who are struggling. Go now and, and show mercy as I have showed you mercy. What do you think the prodigal son was like the rest of his life? Do you think he was a merciful, kind, good, loving... What kind of, what kind of dad was the prodigal son? Even though Russ said the prodigal is the father. But you know what I mean. Like, I bet you he was a darn good dad who's, who, who loved his kids well. I bet you every time he was around pigs the rest of his life, he thought about the mercy his father showed him. I bet you he did. I bet you he taught his sons to love each other well. Love your brother. Because he knew what it was like to not be loved by his brother. In the same way with us. We are the prodigals that God has loved. We are the ones that God has shown mercy to. 
So how are you going to live out mercy to other people? You have an opportunity, an amazing and wonderful opportunity to live out mercy towards each other, towards your neighbors, to your people at your church, people at your school, wherever you go. You're going to exhibit the mercy that's been shown to you. Jesus embraced the awkwardness of, of humanity. He got our humanity all over Him. Right? He got our sin all over Him. That was awkward, I imagine, to some degree for God to become human. But He did it willingly and lovingly. And He did it and, he, and he, it was sacrificial for Him. Jesus had to sacrifice to restore us and lift our burdens. And He did it. All right? And what's the payoff for those who are merciful? Yes. They've received mercy from Jesus. They've received mercy from Jesus. Our burdens have been lifted. We've been restored to a right relationship with God. We can enter His courts with thanksgiving, not being like, I'm here. You know, not hiding behind a column or pillar or chair or whatever it might be. Okay? And He welcomes us. Oh, so glad you're here. He gets up and runs to us. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Let's sing some Joe Deegan songs. Alright? I can't sing. Yes, you can. You'll be alright. What does the world say we should do? What's the contra? Instead of being merciful to those who are weak and broken and and hurting, how should we treat them? What should be our attitude towards them? What, attitudes, what sinful attitudes have you had? You pass the guy on the side of the street begging for money with a sign that says veteran, homeless, help. What's your attitude towards him on your worst days? Get in the right lane, you're not in the left lane. Pile on. Blame. It's your fault you're that way. That's a 13. Judge. Judge those. Condemn them, man. They deserve it. It's their fault. Judge them harshly. And then after you've judged them, what, do you, what should you do? Avoid them. Don't be around them. Don't get their yuckiness all over you. Don't ruin your good, cool, popular name. All right? Then what's the payoff? What's the the the, the, the foolish benefit of, of treating those who are hurting like this? You'll be happy. You'll avoid the, you'll avoid the bad. Your name will be you'll be more popular. The world hates weakness. The world hates weakness and it loves to make fun of it. It loves to, to dismiss it. It loves to abuse it to those who are weak. But it doesn't love to, to help, to be named with as Jesus is. 
I know this couple, and the um, the wife was unfaithful. They're church going, good Americans, love Jesus. The wife was was severely unfaithful in every way, shape, and form for four years. Came and one day, unprompted, just doesn't didn't, didn't get caught, but came and confessed. I've been unfaithful to you. Whatever you decide to do is is justified. And the husband says, I'm, I'm incredibly hurt and I forgive you. I'm incredibly hurt and I forgive you. Let's hug. And then not only that, let's go to church. Everyone knows about it now. Everyone knows that that He has been forgiving and merciful and loving to her. And some of the church scoff at Him. How could you do that? I'd have gone upon somebody else. You know? And He looks a bit foolish to some for doing that. But He showed mercy. He didn't pile on. He didn't cast out. Even though He had biblically a right to do it. And their marriage is so strong now. Their relationship is a testimony to God. It's not easy. We know them and it is hard. It is still a struggle. Many years later, it is still a struggle to get past the things that happened. The wife took on those empty calories and there's there's a consequence for that. But she still loved. She still accepted. She still treasured and called beautiful by her husband. What do you notice so far about the the uh, Beatitudes? We've hit five so far. Poor in spirit. Those who mourn over their sin. Those who are meek or humble. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And those who are merciful. I love to find commonalities in things. Ties that bind. What do you... What do you what stands out about these things so far? These are all values of the kingdom. But what are they pointing to? It seems like the Christian life, the kingdom life, is very sacrificial. And it can be quite awkward. The kingdom life is very sacrificial. You are sacrificing your rights for other people. And on this side of heaven, that's quite awkward. And the, the world's never going to cheer you on for doing that. Maybe in some ways, but not, not by and large. This is the kingdom ethic. Did you wake up this morning praying, God, help me to be poor in spirit. Help me to mourn over my sin. God, help me to be meek. Help me to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Help me to be merciful. I know when I was your age, I woke up and said, God, help me to be loved today. Help. I think her name was Jessica. Help Jessica to think that I'm cool and funny. Help my football team win. Like all my prayers, if they'd been answered, I would have been really happy. 
I would have had a lot of money. I would have had a lot of cute girls liking me. All right, but no one else in my life would have been blessed. If all your prayers are answered, how, how, how advanced is your life versus how advanced is your neighbor's life? Alright. Any questions? Thoughts? Insults? Alright, let me pray for us. We'll be done. God, thank you that you have loved us. That you, you sent your son to die for us. And you have made us right with you. And you have satisfied us in you, with you, by you, through you. You've given us fellowship and relationship. Lord, thank you that you satisfied. And the ways that we've sought satisfaction, other ways we confess, help us to repent. Lord, help us to be merciful as you have shown us mercy. Thank you that you show us mercy now and forever and forever and forever. Help us to live as those who have been shown mercy. Praise guys. Have a great second elective. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.